0: users who can handle the truth and now here's your host gene steinberg so this week on the tech night Owl live we'll be featuring kirk McElhern, the itunes guy from MacWorld. we'll be talking about the new operating systems from apple we'll also hear from abram pilch of laptop magazine all this and more on the tech night owl live so the topic of the year right now is iOS 7 and OS 10 Mavericks. And so we have Kirk McElhern. He's the iTunes guy from Macworld. And he's going to tell you what he thinks about what Apple presented. Looking at iOS 7, there's been criticisms,
1: Kirk, about the so-called flat or 2.5D look it's really 2D. I mean, the the half D is... If you mean 2.5D because of the parallax thing, then yeah. But we've been used to, over the years, these rounded icons that have a little bit of a shine on a spot that suggests that there's a light in a particular angle. We're used to the shadows that we're seeing under the icons, and it's a bold change from what we're used to. Um, It If you look at Apple's website, particularly the iOS page has a number... It has about a dozen screenshots, so you can get a really good idea of how it's going to look. It's a bold change. It's a very drastic change. Personally, I have two criticisms based on what I'm seeing here. The first is the color palette. So the sort of aggregate of all the colors being used is busy, loud. It kind of looks like it comes from a tie-dyed T-shirt or something so you 've got the music app, so i 'm looking at the the main home screen on an iPhone um, on apple 's website. The music app is like bright red. The iTunes store is a pretty harsh purple. Game center has a bunch of what look like balloons in green and yellow and orange and purple, and then you 've got some black icons, compass and stocks you 've got the green of the phone and messages icon uh, they don 't change because we're used to we 've got that green now. I don't know if there's a specific term for it, but it, like there's a there's a there's a big range of colors in the palette, and they don't seem to fit together. If you have two icons side by side, like so on the on the dock on the iPhone, they show phone, mail, Safari, and music, and it's green, blue, blue on white, and red, and there's just something that just doesn't seem balanced about these colors.
0: So basically, it's unbalanced colors. They need to maybe. Redo that artwork a little bit so they look better together?
1: I'm pretty sure they're going to be refining things. But, you know, I'm looking at my current iPhone, and while there's a difference between the colors in, let's say, um, messages and mail. So you've got green and you've got blue. The messages has the white... Um, speech bubble and mail has a white envelope on it. They don't really clash that much. The music app, which is orange in iOS 6, not red, doesn't clash either. But I don't know the technical word. I don't know if it's the color temperature, but there's something that's too, there's too many colors for me in all of the stock icons. And and I'm not even, you know, considering what third party developers are going to do. And the, the fact that you've got some that are almost entirely white, Reminders and Calendar, almost entirely black, Stocks and Compass. Then you've got sort of silverish-gray settings and camera. That sets a certain tone, the white, black, and the gray. But then all of a sudden, you've got these loud colors coming out, phone and mail and music. And it just... Sure, they're going to be refining these icons, and I don't know which beta they're up to, um, but there's going to be a point when the icons are going to be different. We may actually see more depth as they work with it, because you said 2.5D. It's really 2D. They're flat. You don't get the shadow. You don't get the, the simulated lighting coming from a specific angle. It looks weird compared to what we're used to. On the other hand, maybe it's time to move on and to have something new. So I'm not totally critical of the concept as such, of the icons just the colors seem to be a little bit hard to they just don't fit right together for me so you think maybe there will be more color coordination as they proceed no the icons will never be entirely color coordinated i mean they're based on a certain palette of colors in fact if you look at the photos icon you see the colors that are the core colors the red the orange yellow green blue purple etc and these different colors are reproduced so messages and phone are the same green, the App Store and Mail are the same blue, and so on. But the way that they've. the, the harshness of the colors, that's what it is. They're maybe a bit too vibrant for what I would want to see on a phone. So either we have to get used to them, or they have to maybe cut back a little bit. Well, that's always the case, isn't it? Um, it's always the case when you're designing an interface that you're imposing something on your users. If you're, if you're creating an app and users don't like the interface, they won't buy it. Here, it's a different story. Users are going to buy the device not so much for the interface, but for the features. So it's not going to turn people off of buying an iPhone, for instance, or an iPad, but it may make using it a little bit less comfortable for some people. Well, this is something where there's a lot of
0: pros and cons. And you also wonder whether developers wanting to make their apps look good in this environment, are going to be forced to go into different ways,
1: different techniques and schemes that may be weird. That's entirely possible. Um, Now, I'd like to mention something else which really bugs me, looking at some of these screenshots. The fonts are very, very thin. And so if you're looking at the list of mailboxes in mail... You can see it fine. I can see it fine in my office on my display, but am I going to be able to read that very well when I'm outside in what could be bright light looking at my iPhone? Um, You can barely make out the white text against the blue background in the weather app in the example that they show. Even the keyboard, the, the characters on the keyboard are much slimmer than they are on the current keyboard. And Frankly, you want to see that. You want to see those characters very well. You don't want to have to have trouble reading them when you're outside. It almost looks as though the developers haven't been out in the sun. If you look at the control center screen, that's a good example because it's got this sort of, what would you call it? It has a layer that looks like frosted glass. So you're seeing some of the icons below it, and they're blurred. And then you've got these really thin fonts, and you've got some icons on the control center layer... And visually, it's just extremely hard to focus on, in my opinion. Um, Once you get out in the sun, I can't see it being easier to focus on by any means. So the conclusion might be here that the folks from Apple don't get out a lot. They probably don't get out a lot. And, you know, the first designs were probably just done in a bunker someplace. And then they put them on prototypes on phones, obviously, to see how they work. Um, I would hope they have rooms with bright lights so they can test. But... When I'm looking at this, all the fonts are really thin and light and slim, and it just doesn't look to me like it's going to be really usable on an iPhone in real light, in real sunlight.
0: Now, without putting you into a spot here, and we know that a lot of people who are tech writers have access to these betas, but maybe under nondisclosure. So I can't ask you officially if you've taken a phone out into the sun to have a look.
1: No, you can't, and I can't answer that because... If I, do, if I did have a developer account, I would be under a non-disclosure agreement, and I would not be able to talk about it. Um, I'm certainly free to talk about what I see on Apple's website, because this is all public information. So basically, as long as you
0: restrict your comments to what you see. Exactly. At Apple's website, what they've already disclosed about iOS 7, there you go. Right. Of course, the big thing here is not the theme, but the features, whether the new features are compelling enough.
1: Yeah, well, it's, you know, some of the features have to do with design. So if you look at the control center um, screenshot on the iOS 7 page, it's a way of bringing features that you use often into one place. But will it be easily usable because of the way that that screen is designed? And, and I think that's an important question. Um, one thing that I'm, another thing I'm looking at is, so you've got this new multitasking system which i quite like the idea of seeing a page and an icon but i'm just imagining holding a phone in my right hand as i do tapping the hold button twice to get to the multitasking thing and swiping pages well as i do that my thumb is going to get in the way of the icons that are below the pages and we'll get the rest
0: of that answer in our next segment because it's fascinating about all the gyrations you have to go through here Kirk McElhern joining Gene Steinberg on the Tech Night Out Live. Folks, you'll want to hear this. No matter what size your business, people don't take you seriously unless you have a professional-looking website. You can empower your business with a stunning online presence, and it's free. Join over 30 million people who have built their websites with Wix. Once again, it's completely free. It requires absolutely no design or coding skills. Want to know more? Check out wix.com. That's W I X. dot com.
2: Gold, it's like nothing else on Earth. From the Romans through the Renaissance, from the Industrial Age to the Space Age, gold has weathered the test of time. For 6,000 years, gold has remained the ultimate store of wealth. According to the World Gold Council and the U.S. Mint, demand is at an all-time high. The stage is being set for the reemergence of gold as the common-sense alternative to a fiat paper currency that gets weaker every day. Midas Resources is proud to offer the hard-hitting report that arms you with the truth you need to protect you and your family from the Fed's plans for your hard-earned money. Don't gamble with your future. Call Midas Resources today and ask for your free copy of As Good As Gold. Call 1-800-686-2237 for the report the Fed hopes you'll never see. As Good As Gold can be yours by calling 800-686-2237. If you have ever thought about owning gold, you must read this report. Call Midas today at 800-686-2237.
3: Are you still a traditional smoker? Now experience a new lifestyle and try vaping with e cigarettes by La 30- day warranty and satisfaction guarantee so are you ready for a new vaping lifestyle then call 870-518-4307 that's 870-518-4307 or visit lecig.com spelled l-e-c-i-g.com lecig e-cigarettes for today's modern smoker normal blood pressure, naturally. How would that make you feel?
4: I'm Don from New Mexico. January
5: of 2000, I had a heart attack. Then my real health began going downhill, and I had uh, high blood pressure, high blood sugar, poor vision, and I really wasn't sleeping well. I was a mess, pretty much.
6: Don reports dramatic improvements with heart and body extract.
5: I started taking uh, heart and body extract, and from within a few days, I started sleeping a lot better. My blood pressure uh, normalized, my blood sugar normalized, and uh, my sleep really did improve.
6: Experience these benefits and more when your body gets what it needs with the assistance of Heart and Body Extract. Order at HBExtract.com or call 866-295-5305. That's HBExtract.com or call 866-295-5305.
5: Folks, I did not expect this at all, By the 7th, 8th, and 9th day, I saw dramatic improvements from taking Heart and Body Extract.
6: Details at HBExtract.com or call 866-295-5305 for Heart and Body Extract
0: Kirk McElhern, the iTunes guy from Macworld, joining us talking about some of the issues that might be present and accounted for in iOS 7, such as multitasking, the new way they're handling it. And you're saying it's kind of an awkward step to do that with your fingers.
1: Well, my thumb reaches easily. To the part of the screen where you see the windows, So you double tap the home button and your main window, I think it sort of zooms out and then you get this display with all the different windows and you can scroll through it. So my thumb would land around about the middle of the page, but it would also obscure the icons that are below them. Now, there are some apps that you can spot really quickly from their windows, from their pages, but others that you can't. I'd really want to see the icons above those pages instead of below. It's a really s- trivial thing, but they're putting the icons right in the place where your thumb is going to be. And that doesn't seem to me very well thought out. Hmm. All right.
0: Well, I guess as we play with it, we'll have more to say about that. Anything yeah. in terms of the new feature set really look intriguing to you, showing lots of possibilities?
1: Well, I really like, you know, you mentioned that I'm the iTunes guy at Macworld, and I really like the idea of iTunes Radio. You know, there have been a lot of discussions about Apple launching a streaming feature. Would it be like Spotify? Would it be like Pandora or something else? The way iTunes Radio seems to work looks like it's a nice concept of having radio stations by genre or even by artist. And I talked to someone from a record label yesterday, in fact, and he was actually quite happy about it because um, on Spotify, you get pittance for anything that's that's played. You have to have lots and lots of plays to make any money. But iTunes radio is going to be designed to drive people to the iTunes store to buy music. So as you're listening to music, you're going to have these buy buttons that hopefully will lead people to buy music and not just listen to it. You can see if you look on Apple's page and you click on the you get a, a little animation in the screen if you go to the iTunes radio thing and click on it, and you'll see that there's a button, or there's a price button along with the, the play pause and next button and, and all of that. So this seems more likely to lead people to buy music. Now, they'll be they'll be getting music sort of it seems to me it's going to be like Genius, so you're going to pick a song, an artist, or a genre, and you're going to get things that are related the same way that Genius calculates playlists. You'll skip through it, maybe you hear a song you like, maybe you'll say, hey, I'll buy it for a buck, because you know it's just one click to buy it, or one tap to buy it. Both the concept of the iTunes radio, which is, seems to be built on Genius, and the fact that it could lead to more income for record labels and artists, I think is very positive
0: so they 're hoping that people will discover new music and suddenly want to buy that music, and making it a seamless process is going to help
1: yes, unlike spotify you can 't just choose to to listen to an album, um, so this means that y- you know people won 't be using it in the same way they 'll be using it sort of the way they listen to radio. Another point is that iTunes radio is free for anyone with iTunes Match subscriptions it costs $25 a year, and it's ad-supported for anyone without iTunes Match. So Apple is going to be sharing the ad revenue with the labels whose recordings are played. And the labels like this idea that instead of just a flat fee for streaming, there's also ad revenue that's going to be shared. Now, in my opinion, it's a no-brainer. If you're going to use iTunes Radio, spend the 25 bucks for iTunes Match so you don't have to listen to ads. That's really not much for a year of ad-free, you know, unlimited music, when you think about it.
0: twenty-four ninety-nine dollars mm-hmm. for iTunes Match. You don't have to put up with the ads. But it looks like a win-win for Apple because Apple has this built-in market yeah. of all these customers, what, over 500 million accounts?
1: Something like that, yeah. Yes. And, and they're going to be driving them directly to the iTunes store.
0: And then you wonder what's going to happen with some of these other services like Spotify and Pandora.
1: You see, Spotify is – the best example to compare is Spotify where you search for a specific album and you listen to an album or a song or a playlist or an artist or whatever. But you're looking for something specific. Um, here, you're, it, you can create a station apparently based on an artist or a song or a genre. But what you'll be hearing is more of a genius playlist. You won't hear an entire album. I don't, uh, from what I understand, that's not going to be possible. More um, like Pandora. Right. Um, and you don't have friend recommendations, which some, um, some of these streaming slash radio station things do, but you do get the genius stuff. Now, what I also wonder, and we don't know at all yet, I don't think Apple mentioned this in the keynote, is whether the iTunes radio content is in part based on your iTunes library, or what's on your iOS device. In other words... Let's say you have iTunes Match, they know they have your genius information to create genius playlists, so are they going to be providing you music that they think goes well with what you already have? That would seem only supremely logical. Well it would, but you you've got two you got a, a two edged sword here. If it's music that you think people will like, they may be content but not discover anything. Not discover anything new. So you probably got to have a combination of both.
0: The other question would be, would they offer some kind of granular settings or is it just going to be an on off switch in terms of the extent of the matching to your tastes?
1: Yeah, that's something we don't know at all. Um, for now, the only thing that they're showing is just what it looks like um, that you've set up a radio station and, you know, you're listening and that's it. Um, But it is, I mean, one of the main reasons is to drive people to the iTunes store. Um, So presumably, if that works, and this is a big if. um, Remember Apple's Ping, their sort of music social network thing that they rolled into iTunes 9, I think it was. And it became Um, a Pong. And it was just a total failure. So the question is, will this work, first of all? as a service that people use. And second of all, will it drive people to the iTunes store or will everyone just pay the 25 bucks to listen to music and not end up buying anything?
0: Well, I guess any sales are better than no sales.
1: Well, I I was talking to someone yesterday from a record label and he said that um, basically he's asked a lot of people and no one has ever bought anything after hearing it on Spotify. I mean, why would you buy it if you can hear it again by just selecting it in Spotify? Now, the difference here, again, unlike Spotify, you can't choose a specific album, song, artist to listen to. You can choose it to create a station, in air quotes. Okay,
0: so this is like Pandora, which is what we said before, where you choose the kind of music you want. Right. And it's selected from your library and Apple's library, and you get a mixture. You can't just go back and say, can I hear that tune again, unless you buy
1: it. No, but what you can do, there's a little star button, and apparently you can tap on that and say that you like this song. Um, Now, this is going to have two effects, I would assume. One is to reinforce that in terms of, let's call it the genius database. Um, And two, maybe it means that that song will come up again, but you don't know when. So it's still a random luck of the draw kind of thing.
0: iTunes Radio... And we'll learn more about this very soon because we have Kirk McElhern, the iTunes guy. I'm Gene Steinberg. you in the Tech Night Out Live. Are you tired
5: of searching for great talk radio? Something more important. Search no more. We are the GCN Radio Network.
8: That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com.
6: Got a simple question for you. Can you sell? Yes? Okay, can you sell the intangible? If yes, and you'd like to work 9 to 5, Monday through Friday, with no overtime, no weekends, if you're passionate about not closing sales, but about opening relationships, if you truly have a desire to serve global clients who need your advertising expertise, and you're local to the Twin Cities and Burnsville, are hardworking, self-driven, with experience in sales, marketing, or advertising, are personable, and a whiz on the phone, GCN wants to talk with you right now. GCN the Genesis Communications Network is one of the largest independent talk radio networks in the world, and we're hiring right now. We offer benefits and an excellent commission structure. Experience preferred, but we'll train the right person. Is that you? Submit your resume today to advertise at gcnlive.com. Again, that's advertise at gcnlive.com. Come work with the Genesis Communications Network, an equal opportunity employer. Oklahoma reminds us there are many kinds of storms in our lives. Nature regularly sends
9: us destructive storms. 24 hours before a storm strikes, people panic. It would be wise to prepare ahead of the panic curve. The food price storm from drought and livestock problems is forecast to hit ridiculous heights by the end of the summer. Wonder if there will really be a problem? eFoods Direct has a plan to maximize your food dollar and guarantee you will be glad you ordered food. Until July 10th, buy three of any food item and receive the fourth one free with free shipping the guarantee after september 20th when you've seen what happened with food prices and shortages if you're not glad you ordered food return the food unopened for a full refund go to efoodsdirect.com alex or call 800-409-5633 your peace of mind guarantee efoodsdirect.com alex or 800-409-5633
10: Springtime is sale time at Herbal Healer Academy. Current customers know this is the time to save big and stock up at HerbalHealer.com. New customers, welcome to the web's best place to save on vitamins, minerals, and more. Right now, Herbal Healer's spring specials include our 500 parts per million colloidal silver, all sizes on sale, CoQ10 with Hawthorne, Colon Enhancer, Sea Cucumber, Superfem and Super Male Plex, plus Glucosamine Chondroitin, our best-selling liquid CalMag vitamin D, and our colloidal minerals, all on sale for spring at HerbalHealer.com. And Herbal Healer also offers certificate correspondence courses in natural medicine. Enjoy same-day shipping and free online newsletter. Log on to our nation's leader in supplying quality natural medicine and education since 1988, Herbal Healer Academy
11: at HerbalHealer.com. live with gene steinberg it's the tech night owl because you never know what's going to happen next
0: he is kirk McElhern, the itunes guy from a secret estate below
1: stonehenge no 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 no, no, no. i'm in york you're in in york it's in the northeast of england stonehenge southwest think about it this way you went from new york new york to to, old york i love it yes
0: isn't that that's wacky it is okay so we're talking about the itunes radio feature which is going to come with os 10 mavericks and ios 7 this fall it's apple's version of pandora where you kind of create your own radio station but you don't get the djs what's the fun in that
1: yeah, well, we'll have to see how it works out. I, 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 personally, I'm pretty excited about this because there are lots of kinds of music that I like, but that I don't have a lot of. There, for instance, I like jazz, but I just never buy a lot of jazz music CDs. Um, and this will give me a chance to hear a lot of things that I'd like to discover that I don't know. Um, if I want to listen to some stuff from the '60s, I can just. You know, I'm sure there's stations by decade or whatever, so I can choose the 60s and, you know, even probably like, you know, psychedelic music from the 60s from San Francisco, that kind of stuff. You like that, huh? Yeah, I do. But uh, while I have hundreds of Grateful Dead recordings, um, I don't have any Jefferson Airplane, Quicksilver Messenger service. And so this would be a kind of way to get some of that stuff that I wouldn't buy, but that would be nice to listen to from time to time. Personally, I'm looking forward to using that at home, not so much um, on, uh, on an iOS device, but on my home computer. Just moving, I guess, quickly to OS X Mavericks.
0: Okay. It looks to me the feature set is more oriented towards serious Mac users rather than having a lot of fluff, although I guess you could say arguably that
1: having iBooks is recreational. Well, iBooks is reparati- recreational, but it's about time, isn't it? Sure, it doesn't
0: make sense not to have it. And I like the fact that Apple ties you more into the ecosystem by the fact that you start reading the book on your iMac or your MacBook Pro or MacBook Air. And you know what? I don't have time to finish that book now. I'll pick it up later. So you're on the train, you're on the bus. You pick up your iPhone, your iPad, you continue reading where you left off.
1: This is what Amazon does with the Kindle, what they call WhisperSync. Sure, sure. But frankly, it's a no-brainer. It's something that just makes sense that should already exist across iOS devices. But iBooks is the the small feature. For me, the big feature is um, tabs in the Finder. I mean, about time. You
0: know, it's so strange. I can't see where, from a programming standpoint, it's so hard to put in tabs. You've already got kind of
1: a web interface design in the Finder. If if you look at the screenshot on Apple's website, the tabs look exactly the same as the tabs in Safari. So they've got the interface, they've got the concept, they've got the plus button. Um, I don't recall if they showed us anything with um, mission control, but I'm assuming there's going to be some sort of a gesture to show all the tabs the same way you can in Safari. So... It's, you know, it, it, we're dealing with a concept that's been in Safari for years now, the the tabs. It's um, like and, they put Finder improvements on the back burner. Yeah. Well, for years, they've put Finder improvements on the back burner, which is surprising. This is the thing that people use the most. Um, frankly, the idea of having tabs instead of a lot of windows open, I mean, it's about time. You know, we're the, we've been talking about this for years. I'm sure we have many times. Well, even um, elementary things in the Finder...
0: Like remembering sizing, and screen yeah. position, all that old stuff that they never fixed, or well, yeah. you know they make it a little bit better, but they never really fixed it. And now we've got a Finder system that basically borrows from Safari, borrows from third-party Finder alternatives like Pathfinder, which already has tabs. Right. They also have a kind of a dual pane view, where in the well, same got, Finder window you can see.
1: And pardon. Yeah. Pathfinder has 15
0: different views. Sure. But I'm talking about that particular feature. But as you said, Pathfinder does a lot more in the Finder, even with Finder tabs and Finder
1: tags. Yeah. Now, I'm not so hot on tags. I don't see that this is going to be extremely useful for me, but this is something I've got to put into my workflow. Um, I tend to keep files together so it seems to me that tags are for someone who just dumps all their files in one folder and wants to tag them, rather than putting all the files for a specific project in a subfolder, which is what I do, what probably what you do, and I'm not sure that I'm going to really use tags any more than I use labels today.
0: Well, I think people have asked them to restore something like the labels feature in OS 9, Yeah. and so maybe this is their final alternative. Well, this is something that's better, and maybe three yeah, people will I, use it. I don't know. It depends on your workflow and how it's organized in your particular environment.
1: Yeah, I don't know. Jason Snell wrote an article about it on Macworld. Um, Jason, if I'm not mistaken, was given, was lent a laptop with Mavericks on it and is allowed to write about it.
0: Yeah, so uh, was Jim Dalrymple of the Lou. So yeah. was Mark Spoonhour at Laptop Magazine. So right. certain selected members of the media were allowed. And I've written to Apple saying, okay, you've allowed this to happen. What about those who are only getting their copies of Mavericks through the developer program? Do they get the same option because they are also journalists entitled to report the truth? Where is the line of demarcation? I asked for clarification from Apple PR. You know what they said? What? Nothing.
1: Yeah. Okay. As usual. But it's only fair. Yeah. But what it means is that there is more public information than usual. That is unusual because... From reputable websites. Right. That's more unusual than Apple has officially given
0: certain journalists access to the developer's version. And maybe they had some kind of requirement not to report it for a certain period because it was a couple of weeks before the stories came out. Regardless, what this means is for the first time since the OS X public beta in September of 2000, Mm. we have official information... About the state of OS X,
1: right. Whereas before, we'd get it from sites like I guess Mac Rumors published some stuff, and other you know small sites would publish stuff, but against Apple's will, and certainly Apple was probably they knew they can't prevent it in any way, but they probably don't like the sites that report on stuff when it's in beta, but this time they're actually promoting it. So anyway, so we're we're talking about tags and, and Jason's article didn't convince me that I want to use tags, but I'll have to see it when Mavericks is finally out. One thing I really do like is the iCloud keychain. Now if you remember keychains used to sync under what was it, dot Mac? Mobile Me? Which one was it? I think it was both. Yeah, but I think, I think it was,
0: when it went to iCloud, you lost that capability. Let's backtrack, though, because we're assuming facts not in evidence here for our listeners. We have a feature called iCloud Keychain, and the subtitle is your passwords stored, encrypted, and automatically entered. More to the point, it also generates passwords. So if you have to enter a password in a site, for example, that's not stored, it will suggest a strong password for you. One right. that is really, really hard for people to parse. Right. So that's the basic feature. And the way it works is it syncs over all your iOS devices. So if you have an iPad, iPhone, iPod Touch running iOS 7 or OS 10 Mavericks, you'll be able to have a single set of passwords for everything. And it could be done with a password generator, so you don't even have to remember that crazy, quote, thing it'll devise. You can enter your credit card numbers, and all that stuff is going to be synced in the cloud, except what happens when iCloud goes down?
1: Um, Well, that's a good question. Um, While it's technically synced in the cloud, the problem with iCloud going down would be when you create a new password and getting it over to new devices. This is all going to be stored on a database on your device, so you won't not be able to access your passwords. You just won't be able to sync new ones, so I'm not too worried about that. All right. So here's where we stand so far. We're looking over OS X Mavericks.
0: We're looking over the various features, focusing on the finder, something that's needed a lot of work for a long time. Kirk McElhern is the iTunes guy. From Macworld, we've got lots more to go. And in our second half of the Tech Night Out Live, we'll be featuring Avram Pilch of Laptop Magazine and he always has lots of fascinating conversations to bring to you. You can also find us on Twitter where we're known as Tech Night Owl. Once again, we are known as Tech Night Owl on Twitter. So follow us. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Owl live.
4: Nutritious food is real body armor. It builds muscle, burns fat, improves digestion, and feeds the entire body the nutrients it needs. Did you know the U.S. government banned the hemp plant from growing in the United States and classified it as a Schedule One drug to hide it behind the marijuana plant? People have been confused about this plant for over 80 years, and many still don't know what hemp is. So now you know hemp is not marijuana, and marijuana is not hemp. They are different varieties of the same species. HempUSA.org wants the world to know these basic facts and to help people understand that hemp protein powder is the best-kept health secret you need to know about. Remember, hemp protein powder contains 53% protein, is gluten-free, anti-inflammatory, non-GMO, and is loaded with nutrients. Call 888-910-4367, 888-910-4367, and see what our powder, seeds, and oil can do for you only at HempUSA.org.
11: Know what's going to happen next? Well, here's the Tech Night Owl live with Gene Steinberg.
0: I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Owl live. We have Kirk McElhern, the iTunes guy from Macworld. We're talking about OS X Mavericks. Understand here that the information we're giving you is based on what Apple has in their site. A preview of the next big release of the world's most advanced desktop operating system coming this fall, et cetera, et cetera. That's what Apple says. And so we're discussing what's there. There may be other features added or changed, but of course we can't talk about them because Apple has said nothing yet. Although it does look like they're moving fast because they came out with a developer preview two two weeks after the first one, and there are reports that next week there's gonna be in iOS 7 Beta 3, so there might be another developer preview from Apple. If this is the case, they may be really
1: pushing to get this thing released before fall begins. If I remember correctly with the 10.8 release, we didn't get a second developer release for quite some time after the first one. Yeah, it came out in February, and you really didn't get any update until like June. Yeah, it was Yeah, because there was a preview in February... For release in the fall and then there was a long time until the wwdc before anything else came out so here they came out later but it seems like it's more polished if they're already getting new betas out
0: and if it keeps up with this rage you kind of think heck they'll wrap this up in august release in early september or late august you know before we go into other features of os 10 mavericks i noted one thing correct me if my memory is wrong okay during the worldwide developers Conference. When we were learning about the features of OS 10 Mavericks, Craig Federighi said it'll be available this fall for download. He didn't say for sale. He said for they download. He didn't mention a price. Yeah, um, no, but he said download. He didn't say sale.
1: Yeah, and I'm thinking now, here. You know what? It's going to be free.
0: That's it. What's the point? What's the point of charging $20 for it? That's a drop in the bucket for Apple. Make yep. the thing free, freak out Microsoft. Of course, Microsoft is making the Windows 8.1 update free, but that's really a serious bug fix for a very flawed operating system. Here, Apple's giving you a major new release, and they give it to you free.
1: It'll immediately get the majority of Mac users to update and to use the new features. Um, one thing I find very interesting is that every single Mac that can run 10.8 will also be able to run 10.9. Now, that's we've according had- to
0: reports of the developer release, but we have to assume, based on past experience, that when Apple puts system requirements and developer preview, just about every time, that's exactly what's going to happen. So what this yeah. means is if your Mac can run Mountain Lion now, the upgrade to Mavericks will be seamless... Maybe it'll be free, but more to the point, if your app is compatible, there's no reason not to do it. If your Mac is compatible. If your app is compatible. In words, if the apps you
1: need. Uh, If your apps are compatible. If the apps that you need are compatible, right? and we hope most or all will be. Yeah. I think it's quite interesting because we've always had this period of people complaining, oh, I just bought this Mac three years ago and I can't update it, and this time... Everything that runs 10.8 is going to run 10.9. You know, what's very interesting
0: about this is the fact that we're covering Macs from 4 to 6 years old,
1: depending on the model. That's quite a stretch. Well, you know, we haven't really been – it used to be a question of processor speed and all that, and that's not an issue anymore. New Macs aren't that much faster than old Macs. Remember when it used to be from year to year, you would sort of double the processor speed or it would double every 18 months or something like that? And We haven't been seeing that. We've been seeing more efficient processors, particularly in, in, in energy efficiency, but we haven't seen the speed increase an awful lot. So the needs of this operating system aren't that different from what's available in these Macs that are four five, six years old. And I think that's a good thing. And part of it is the graphics processor, the fact that in
0: recent years, the graphics processors have been able to handle more of the work that's offloaded to them. But if you right. look right now, we'll use Macworld Magazine as a point. Macworld will do a test of a new Mac and they'll give the standard versions, the loaded customized versions, Normally, performance differences range from five to twenty percent. That's barely discernible. The yep. only thing that really shows a difference is where there's a faster graphics processor and also the use of more solid-state drives. That's where it speeds up. Now, that's the other thing about Mavericks we want to talk about here is Mavericks. If you believe the preliminary benchmarks based on beta versions of the software, most everything is noticeably faster. And there's an
1: actual, real, measurable advantage in battery life. Yeah. And which which brings us down a nostalgic path, doesn't it? Um, because they're compressing memory, just like RAM Doubler used to do. Do you remember that under System 7? RAM Doubler was a utility. It wasn't cheap, but RAM was extremely expensive back then. And what it did was at the system level, it compressed what was in your RAM so your RAM could hold more. It was like Taking, making a zip archive of what was in the RAM. And since reading RAM is extremely quick, it could decompress it when it needed it, um, and you wouldn't get much of a hit in terms of processor time. So one of the things they're doing in order to um, basically both save energy and make the system snappier is compressing what's in RAM, which means two things. One, you'll get a a more responsive system, and you'll save battery life. But two, you may not need to get extra RAM in your next Mac. Depends on what you're running.
0: And of course, the new Macs have more RAM than the old ones. The cheapest Mac, the MacBook Air, I remember when it had two gigabytes of RAM. Now it has four. Yeah. And I think the basic um, MacBook Pro has eight. So you probably have enough for most of the apps that you need anyway. It means fewer people need to upgrade RAM. And anyway, Apple's made it impossible on all of these models.
1: That's true. Uh, unless you do it as a, as a build-to-order thing when you order the Mac. But, you know, it's, it's interesting. So we're talking about computer speeds. And I'm sure in the past I've mentioned that I, I used to function on a sort of 18 to 24-month cycle. Um, I would get a new Mac, and I'd keep it a year and a half, two years, and then I would sell it and buy another Mac. Um, And I did this for two reasons. One was because um, after about a year and a half or two years, a Mac still has enough resale value to make it worth selling. And two, this would allow me to get a new, much faster Mac at that time. Now, I'm currently using a Mac Mini that is well over – it's over a year and a half. So I think I bought it in November 2011. I have absolutely no need to update this Mac. I have absolutely no need to replace it. I can't see anything that's slow or lagging, and I can't see any advantage to buying a new Mac right now.
0: Well, I'm looking at a 2009 iMac when they first came out with that particular generation design where it became basically a really powerful computer that was only slightly slower in most circumstances than a Mac Pro, except for Mm -hmm. really severe rendering and everything. Now, it still runs pretty good. I don't see a slowdown. However, I would love to have a solid-state drive, and I would consider buying a new iMac with a Fusion drive, which is this kind of hybrid arrangement that Apple came up with. Right. That would be interesting. But as it stands, assuming this computer holds out, I have no real severe reason to upgrade. As a matter of fact, were I to buy a new iMac, I have a friend who might acquire this one and assume, as far as he's concerned, it would be a perfectly first-class product.
1: Well, what I did when I bought this Mac Mini is I thought ahead. I have the 2.7 gigahertz uh, Core i7 model. That was the fastest processor available. And I got it with an SSD, which at the time was a lot more expensive than it should have been, or a lot more expensive than it is now.
0: It's still but, too much expensive, I'll tell you.
1: Right. But what it means is that I'm looking, the current Mac Mini is a 2.5 Core i5 or 2.3 quad-core i7. I don't know how that relates in terms of speed, but for what I do, it doesn't matter. But I'm pretty well protected by doing that, by getting the SSD, the faster processor. And about six months ago, I put 16 gigs of RAM in it because I had eight, and it was just paging a little bit too much um, when I had you know a dozen applications open. So I, I really future-proofed this Mac when I bought it, and it's a good thing because now um, you know, I'm comfortable. I don't need to get another one for quite some time.
0: I think Apple now is more content with the fact that people will replace their Macs not quite as often. So they have to push more towards new sales to keep the market share up.
1: Yeah, I would certainly assume that that's the logic. Um, However, if you're See, you're telling people that they don't need to upgrade their Mac to get a new operating system. This used to be how the PC business, the Windows side, would make money. There would be a new version of Windows. People would need to upgrade their computers to be able to run it. And this was how they would get a lot of sales. And they're not doing that anymore on the PC side a great deal. They're not doing it on the Mac side at all. Um, So, yeah, as you say, it's more getting new users. But I think a lot of what Apple's doing now is reinforcing the ecosystem. Um, you know, we talked about the iCloud keychain. It's just one of these things that makes a Mac work really well with an iPhone or an iPad. And I think that the the target here is to get more people to have multiple Apple devices.
0: Coming up shortly, we'll be hearing from Avram Pilch of Laptop Magazine. But right now, we have Kirk McElhern joining us. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night How Live. Mm-hmm.
8: Hi, my name is DeRay, suffering from migraines, having Botox injections in my head and neck to alleviate pain, costing $1,500 out of my pocket. I discovered Dr. Ortman and gentle touch chiropractic adjustment called Nuka. I'm migraine-free since my first adjustment. Thanks for giving me my life back, Dr. Ortman. I wish they prescribed
7: you instead of Botox. Thanks, DeRay. Putting the bones back in place is only half of the solution. We design a nutritional supplement program the body can handle, actually absorb, providing nutrients, targeting the problem area. Between Nuca and nutrition, we will have you on the road to a faster and more permanent recovery. Look us up on the web at DrWartman.com or call 952-303-9124. Let us help you feel better faster. Wellspring Spinal Care at 952-303-9124. Again, that's 952-303-9124 or on the web at drortman.com. Welcome back to the Tech Night Owl Live, where you never know what's going to happen next. And now, here's Gene Steinberg.
0: So it's the great Apple ecosystem that comes to the fore here, that Apple wants you to be tied so much into their ecosystem that you buy a Mac, that you buy an iPhone, that you buy an iPad or even an iPod Touch. And by the way, there's a report from NPD Group that through May of this year, and we're talking about before the new generation MacBook Airs came out, the existing MacBook Air for the first five months of the year were the number one so-called small or ultrabook kind of notebook computer mm. they've been trying pushing we're going ultrabooks 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 they call it thin and light notebook the official category apple's macbook air had 56 percent share of market that's With the new amazing, models coming it? out you yeah. think wait a minute doesn't apple have a product it's only has a four percent market share what's going on here
1: yep no, it's pretty amazing. I mean, the MacBook Air, since the very first incarnation in 2009, was it? Um, it's just an amazing computer. It really is. It's limited. Um, I'm looking at Apple's page. It only got 4 gig of memories. Um, you can only get up to 256 gigs of storage. But for a computer to take on the road, it's just so light. It really is.
0: And someone with a really old Mac, you know, you get the basic versions of 128 gigabytes. Now, I have someone, a friend, who has a Mac Mini as his desktop computer. And I guess it has, what, 256 gigabyte or 500 gigabyte hard drive. He doesn't use that much of it. And he's looking for a notebook computer. And I said, you know what? You got a separate display already. You get the mouse, the keyboard. Why don't you get a MacBook Air, the new model, and use that as your number one computer for everything. When you get home, you just plug in the display. You know, get a Thunderbolt to DVI adapter cord for, what, $29?
1: Yeah. Well, I have to admit that I'm a bit spoiled by the MacBook Pro with the retina display. Um, as much as I really like the MacBook Air, if my main computer were a laptop, whether or not I would connect it to an external display or not, um, I would want to go for that. So the MacBook Air for me is something you're going to take with you. Um,
0: now, being spoiled, would you consider here... Now that you've gone to a Mac Mini, we're going to have a brand new Mac Pro coming, I guess, this fall. We don't know what the price is going to be.
1: I have absolutely no interest in the new Mac Pro. Okay. None at all. Um, I had a Mac Pro that I bought, I think it was in 2006. Was that when the first Mac Pro came out? Right. It came out the summer of
0: 2006, and that completed Apple's migration to Intel like six months ahead
1: of time. Right. And I bought that, and I used it for about two and a half years and sold it. Um, It was big. It was a little bit noisy. Um, It was really overkill for what I do. Um, That was before the Mac Mini came out, obviously. Uh, The iMac at the time wasn't very powerful compared to the Mac Pro. And what I particularly liked was the ability to have four hard drives in it. Um, I have a very large digital music collection, but now I've got my digital music collection on a, what is it, Um, Western Digital MyBook Thunderbolt. So I have two times two terabytes connected to my Mac Mini via a Thunderbolt connector. Don't need those internal drives. Of course, the Mac Pro won't have internal drives. Um, But I don't need the power. The only people that need that power anymore um, are really developers people who work with audio editing video editing photographers things like that there's absolutely no need for an average user to have that um personally if i had to choose among any of apple's computers to have one single computer i would choose um a retina macbook pro because the display is just so wonderful this would be the 15 inch version well no it would be the 13 inch see if it was going to be a a computer that would be only on my desktop it would be the 15 but if it was going to be something to carry around it would have to be the 13
0: i'll tell you i'm so used to 27 inches well it's going to be really hard to downsize i'll tell you also i wonder also when apple releases the mac pro will they also release 4k displays for the motion picture industry for video
1: editing There's absolutely no need to have 4K displays because this is a technology that's totally useless. Um, You can't see the difference between a 4K display and a standard HD display at the distance at which you watch television. Except for the fact that Apple advertises that the Mac Pro will be able to drive three 4K displays. They made a point of that. Okay, but... Who's going to use that display? First of all, it's going to cost a fortune. If you're going to put that on your desktop... It's for video editors. We're talking about people who do it
0: for a living, and they've got tens of thousands of dollars invested in peripheral products like specialty cards, breakout boxes, and Ray drives, spending two, three grand for a display. (laughs) Chump change.
1: No, I certainly agree for that sort of person. Um, But for anyone else, it's overkill. Now, I have a 27-inch Thunderbolt display. I would like it to have... Um, a higher resolution. So I would like it to be closer to a retina display, but it wouldn't need to be as many pixels per inch as the MacBook Pro because you tend to keep a, a, a desktop display a little bit further away than a laptop display. So you really won't see the difference. This is, by the way, part of the argument against
0: 4K consumer TVs. You know, all the companies want to get into selling you brand new flat panel TVs, get 4K, it's also called Ultra HD. The problem being here, that unless you get like a 60 or 80 inch display, you're not going to see the difference at a normal viewing range. And and sit four feet away from it. Well, who sits four feet away from the TV anymore?
1: Well, no one. No one. You have to be very close to be able to see the difference on a TV. Um, believe it or not, a lot of people who... Up, upgraded from a 720p To a 1080p TV Probably don't see the difference either At a normal distance So But that's yeah, This is all marketing You know they, They're going to try and Put it off on people the, the thing is The TV industry Has done quite well In um, upscaling to HD And getting people To replace TVs They're not going to get people To replace TVs again When um, they do not. now
0: Where they're getting people To replace TVs Is getting people To buy larger TVs because yes. the larger TVs have become cheaper. So here in the States, for example, you could, for $750 or more, you get a really good 50-inch set. For maybe eight
1: or $900, you get a set with 3D, but who uses 3D? Well, that's another thing. See, they, they put a lot of money into 3D, which is a total failure, um, and it didn't convince people at all. Um, they're going to... See, one of the reasons 4K won't take off is it can only be used for one thing. This is for movies transferred from film... Onto whatever the supports gonna be, I guess the Blu-ray is gonna be able to hold a 4K movie. Um, you're not gonna get every TV studio in the world upgrading from HD to 4K hardware. Because and you also have to
0: understand here that more and more movies and TV shows are not done on film anymore. Right? They're, they're done, done with di- high-resolution digital cameras.
1: Yeah, but you're not gonna get the TV people upgrading to something higher than HD. They won't because there's no way
0: to distribute that to the mass market because that higher bandwidth means that your cable and satellites providers have to offer fewer stations because it consumes all that bandwidth. And DirecTV and Dish Network and other places are not going to launch new satellites just for 4K. So it's going to be restricted to, as you say, maybe a Blu-ray
1: variant. And... Granted, if you're sitting four, way, four feet from a 4K TV and you're watching a really nice transfer of a movie from film, it, you'll probably see the difference. But for average viewing, you won't.
0: You know, if you're the kind of person who sits in the front row at the multiplex in an IMAX theater, you're in the front row, you just want everything to be overwhelming you, then you are a candidate for 4K TV. So take out your five grand and go buy one yep but if you're like most of us regular people i don't think we much care i mean if they reach a point where because of technology 4k is not much more expensive than regular hd they'll do it anyway to convince people there's a reason to upgrade even if there isn't because they need to do that now because the market is highly saturated yeah and they are looking desperately for a way to get you to buy a new tv but the problem is here is that something like a led tv is good for 10 15 years mm. your plasma is good for maybe 10 years and this is yep like running at six eight hours a day so where's the need we need to tell you we have kirk mckelhorn joining us i'm gene steinberg you're in the tech night how live mm-hmm.
15: of buying gold and silver again the global elite have plans for your money and it doesn't include you so call me gary cooper at 1-800-686-2237 extension 130 and i will send you a booklet with 10 reasons why gold and silver could be right for you again don't get caught with money in your account when the next bank bailout hits call me gary cooper at 1-800-686-2237 extension 130 Are you still a traditional <laughs> smoker? Now
3: experience a new lifestyle and try vaping with e-cigarettes by Le Cig. day warranty and satisfaction guarantee so are you ready for a new vaping lifestyle then call 870-518-4307 that's 870-518-4307 or visit lecig.com spelled
16: l-e-c-i-g.com lecig e-cigarettes for today's modern smoker absorption of food nutrients aids in controlling yeast infections is never freeze dried and uses three groups of live viable beneficial microbes to cleanse and remove toxins order Pro EM one daily probiotic cleanse at terraganics.com spelled t e r a g a n i x.com terraganics.com or call toll free 866-369-3678 that's 866-369-3678 proem1 the raw probiotic
7: We'd like to hear from you. If you have any thoughts or comments about the Tech Night Owl Live, please get in touch at news at techniteowl.com. That's news at techniteowl.com. Looking for past episodes? We've got hundreds at owlcom slash radio. That's TechnightOwl.com slash radio. Or subscribe on iTunes.
0: Kirk McElhern joining us. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live. And the fast question to ask, Kirk, before we get on to a final topic or two for this segment, and that is, what kind of TV set do
1: you have? Interesting that you asked. I just bought a new TV a couple weeks ago. Regular listeners will know that I've moved from France to the UK, um, and I left my TV behind, and I bought a, a new Panasonic, what do they call those, Viera? Um, VR 40 is the one. That's what they call their connected or smart TVs. Right. It's a smart TV. It's a 47-inch LED. It's very nice. It's very nice. I had a 40-inch before, um, so I welcome the larger size. I didn't really feel like paying for anything bigger. The next size up is 50. It's got really, really vibrant colors. I mean, realistic colors. The picture is sharp. and it's, I'm totally happy with it. The um, only difference complaint people offer about LED TVs is the viewing angle
0: isn't quite as much. But if you don't view the TV from the side... Not a big deal. Yeah. It's not I a big mean, deal. For most people, it's not a big deal. And they're getting better at it. Plasma is better than that, but plasma also uses more electricity. You know, it's yeah. funny here. I put in a review TV one of the TV makers sent me. It was a 3D set. We still have it. We haven't, they haven't asked for it back yet. I'm sure they will very soon. But we compared it, our electric bill compared to this 2008 Plasma we had from Panasonic, Fiera. Mm -hmm. And the electric bill went down by a fair amount. And we're dealing with record high temperatures in the Phoenix area of Arizona now, where, as I speak to you, we've had temperatures as high as 118. So even when the air conditioner is running full throttle, it's pretty hot. And we noticed with the Plasma set, 2008 Vintage, before they put in more of the power efficiencies... Boy, it would really heat up the master bedroom. Now we've got the LED set in there, and I'm going to have to negotiate with the people saying, look, just sell us the set.
1: Yeah. It's saving Um, us a lot of money. It's true that, so the Sony that I had before, a 40-inch Sony, um, it was much warmer. If I put my hand over the top of it, I could feel the heat coming off. This one, there's hardly any heat at all. Exactly. Not only that, it's about a quarter of the thickness of the Sony. Which is, It's quite impressive how light it is and how thin it is compared to a five-year-old Sony that they've that made that much progress in panels um, in just five years. And I'm looking basically at the same price range. Um, I don't buy really expensive TVs, so it's not like the old one was average, and this one was uh, is top of the line. Um, what, I, what I did, actually, is I went to a store here in New York and was advised by a very nice person who said, look, we got this one here, which is last year's model that I think was selling at 1,500 pounds, and we're selling it for a 1,000, and I reserved it. And when I went back to pick it up about 10 days later, they had dropped the price by another 100. So basically, it's last year's model. It's Whatever slight difference that this year's model has, it's missing. But it's the same thing for about two thirds of the price of the original price. Now, in the U.S., you can get sets for a lot less. Well, I could have gotten others for a lot less. Believe me,
0: that's the middle of the product line, most likely. Yeah, yeah,
1: definitely. Okay. I could see the difference in the cheaper ones. The the next, you know, the level down, the ones around five hundred pounds, which would be about seven hundred fifty dollars. I could see the difference. Okay, um, this this at nine hundred is about thirteen hundred fifty dollars. Um, And the next range up was about 1,500 pounds, so over $2,000. Okay, yes. Okay, well, that's important, too, to take a look.
0: And the thing is, when you're at the store, one of the problems is they put those TVs in a vibrant or store mode picture, so everything looks brighter than it really does. When you get home, what you got to do is reset the picture to the normal or home setting, and then actually the most realistic picture in my testing of TV sets over the years is go to the movie or cinema setting. It looks a little dimmer, the picture. Okay. But the picture is more accurate. And then if you want to spend 10, 20 bucks, get one of these Blu-ray calibration discs like the Disney Wow DVD or Blu-ray. Is that really useful? within 15 minutes, you'll calibrate the basic settings of your TV. Start Uh with cinema or movie get this device. It also includes these little color color sticks or squares you put over your eye to shield certain colors. It takes about 15 minutes to adjust your set. And when you do it, you will fine-tune that picture. Maybe you'll make it a little brighter, but you'll fine-tune the color rendition to a point where you'll be about 95% or 98% of what you'll get with a professional calibration, which means you will never see the difference. And you'll really see how good the set can be. Most sets with a little adjustment can be really good.
1: Yeah, I did quite a bit of adjustment. In fact, when I plugged it in, it immediately asked me if I wanted to set it up for home or for a store. That was the first thing. Um, And then I went through all the menus, and I made a lot of changes. One thing I noticed in the default settings was that there was some blurring around characters who were moving against the background. And I turned off a couple of these noise reduction things or whatever, and that solved that problem. Um, But I didn't know about Blu-ray calibrations, and I see there's one here, a region-free U.S. import for £14.50. It is very user-friendly. And what you do then before you set it up, though, you need to
0: go back to basics, which do a factory reset. Most sets have that. Go to the cinema or movie mode, which already turns off some of those silly special effects. Then go and tune the picture. Right. You will find then that you'll get, as they say, a pretty accurate picture. It's not going to be as bright, you know. But really, the best way to view a TV is in a dim room anyway.
1: Yeah, well, it depends on your room. We generally watch TV in the evening, so it's relatively dim. I was watching the Tour de France this afternoon. We have very large windows in the living room, so it was bright, but the TV's bright enough. The TV has a self-adjusting brightness thing as well. I don't like those features, but if you like it, try it. I've I've never had a point where I've thought it's too bright or too dim, unlike on my Thunderbolt display, my Apple Thunderbolt display. When I set the automatic brightness, I find myself changing it from time to time.
0: Well, in the case of the set I've been using, it's a Vizio. It's from their E-series, which is their budget line, but it's a 3D set, which means nothing, by the way. Yeah. What I did is turn off that feature. It annoyed me. I set the picture in not a dim room, not a bright room, but at a point where I basically turn the lights off during the daytime with the blinds closed. So it's still fairly bright in the room, but like halfway between night and night halfway between daytime, and adjusted the picture that way, figuring it's a compromise, so right. I don't have to play around with anything. So okay. therefore, maybe I'm not getting the ideal picture for nighttime viewing, not getting the ideal picture for sunlit viewing, but I'm getting the best compromise. Everything's a compromise. This is one way. Some sets have THX, which is if you yeah, switch I don't to have THX, you know, it's a next step up in terms of pricing. I don't know about that, whether that solves all the problems or not. But THX supposedly gives you professional calibrations. Others have built-in calibrators, some more expensive sets. You get all these built-in calibrations and things. We have something else built in, which is the obligatory mention of where you can find the stuff that Kirk
1: McElhern does. Tell us. Visit my website, McElhern.com. Check me out on Macworld, where I'm the iTunes guy, and where I write lots of other articles about Macs and iOS devices. Anything coming up you want to tell us about? A week before we recorded this, the first in a series of articles about using the command line on the Mac went live on Macworld. And this is going to be an irregular series, and I don't know how long it's going to last, but I think a lot of people who want to know how to use the command line like the idea of starting at the beginning and learning what the basic commands are so they can at least feel comfortable if they need to use Terminal for anything.
0: Kirk McElhern, thanks for joining us on the Tech Night How Live. Thanks very much, Gene.
13: Or go to my website, TaxHelpOnline.com. That's TaxHelpOnline.com.
2: I have bought a few bottles of heart and body extract and have to say that it, it certainly does work.
6: That's what Jack from Michigan had to say after his experience with heart pain and what he did to treat it with heart and body extract.
2: I actually had a huge heart flutter. I was also having some edema around my ankles and very worrisome clot in my uh, right leg that would happen from time to time while I was trying to sleep.
6: Heart and body extract is all natural with no negative side effects. It will help repair or correct past problems associated with the heart and body circulation.
2: After my second bottle of heart and body extract, all problems are now gone.
6: Order at HBExtract.com or call 866-295-5301.
2: I ordered a third bottle of heart and body extract for maintenance as I want to keep everything working. Order
6: heart and body extract at 866 295 5305 or hbextract.com. Heart and body extract for a long and healthy life.
11: What's going to happen next? You never know when you're listening to The Tech Night Owl, live with Gene Steinberg.
0: We have Abram Pilch of Laptop Magazine joining us with so many things to talk about. I don't know where to begin, but you know what? I'm going to do it anyway. There's a story in another magazine. There are other magazines out there. We do not like to admit that, Avram, but, you know, occasionally we (laughs) have to accept the fact. And I'll read you the first paragraph because it explains a lot. A vulnerability that has existed in Android for the past four years can allow hackers to modify any legitimate and digitally signed application in order to transform it into a Trojan program that can be used to steal data or take control of the OS. All right. Now, this is based on a report from a company called Blue Box Security. So what does this all mean in the real world? It means that
18: somebody found a vulnerability in Android. We don't know how easy it is to exploit, uh, and we don't know whether it's been exploited before, that there is malware for Android is nothing new. What they haven't said about the exploit is how they would actually get the exploit to your computer. If you're downloading an app from, say, the Google Play Store, which does some due diligence, although some argue that it could do more due diligence on apps that have been submitted to it to find out whether they're malware, and then you are auto-updating that app through the Play Store, I don't see how you could be infected. The uh, What they were talking about in the article is how you could potentially take the installation file, otherwise known as the APK, for an Android program, modify the code in it, and then give it to somebody, and it would still register as being from the original author because it wouldn't break the digital signature, which it ought to break the digital signature to sort of show that it's not it's not valid. But the unanswered question is, How are you going to deliver that to the user if they're getting their update from the legitimate source uh, and they're downloading their files from the legitimate source, not really sure how they're going to manage to fool people. Theoretically, what someone could do is pirate a popular Android program, put the malware in it like a virus, and then put it up somewhere and distribute it and then people downloading from that source could get it. But if, if you're get it buying or downloading your free apps from a legitimate source like the Play Store, I don't know how this would work.
0: So it's something here that if you actually get your software through legitimate sources through the Google Play Store, you just play nice. You do the normal things that one does in keeping an Android device, tablet or smartphone. You shouldn't have a problem of this sort.
18: It, it doesn't sound like it from this exploit, unless there is an inherent problem with the way that Google is that Google is verifying its apps. Also, uh, what hasn't been said is whether or not is as whether or not antivirus software such as uh, AVG Free uh, for Android would detect this exploit.
0: All right, that's a good question too. If I'm running security software on an Android device. I should be okay?
18: They haven't said. I mean, this this exploit is uh, the company that discovered it hasn't presented it publicly yet. So all we know is what they say about it, which isn't enough information to, to know that.
0: All right. Well, that's, th- I think, the thing that we wanted to check into. Now, I had heard, according to an update to this report, that Samsung had fixed some of the problems in update to the Galaxy S4, But I haven't seen any updates from Samsung since I got that device. Uh, uh,
18: Neither have we. We have four of them in the office from different different carriers. Uh, As far as I know, we haven't gotten any major updates. But I haven't checked in a couple of days. But we've been using them. And as far as I know, we haven't gotten any major updates.
0: Hmm, We haven't gotten any updates here at all. Not a single thing. Except for apps. You know, scattered apps like always. You get those updates. So, in general... What do you tell someone who has an Android phone or is considering one to make sure they're safe? I mean, yeah, the well, suggestion yeah. made in some of these articles that this is just like Windows of old.
18: Amazing. You know, I actually, that's a good analogy because the reason why people like Android, the reason why Android, in my opinion, is the best mobile operating system is because it's like Windows of old. It is... An open operating system that gives programmers lots of freedom to build apps that take full advantage of your hardware. Uh, if you don't want to get a virus by a flip phone, uh, if you want a, if you want good technology, it comes with some level of risk. but this is not really a huge risk. Download your apps from a legitimate source. Don't go don't go downloading pirated games on BitTorrent. Uh, install some security software just in case, but you really shouldn't get a virus from that. I think your biggest uh, risk is not going to come from an app that you've installed if you got it from a legitimate source. The biggest risk is going to come from maybe email attachments or potentially dangerous websites that do drive-by downloads, although we hope that uh, the Chrome browser, whatever browser you're using in Android, uh, would prevent an infection. So really, it's just the same basic security message we always give people. be, you know, don't download stuff from strange places.
0: (laughs) Okay, and this applies to Macs, Windows... It certainly applies to Android. It applies to someone who takes an iPhone and they jailbreak it. Correct.
18: You know, look, you can have an iPhone or, or a Windows phone and you can only uh, or just install Windows 8 apps from the uh, Windows Store on a Windows 8 or Windows 8.1 system, and you'll be guaranteed that you're getting stuff that's been vetted uh, by those companies. But p- part of that process of, of having a walled garden means that there are significant limitations, uh, not only on what apps get into the store, but on what the apps can do. Uh, for example, uh, one reason why there are not as many great Windows 8 apps is because Windows 8 APIs don't allow access to a lot of the aspects of your computer. You can't write a Windows 8 app that can read whether or not your battery is charging. I mean, because that's hidden from the apps as a quote-unquote security measure, I think. So, we, you know, I think the the beauty of Android is that it is so customizable, and along with that comes a certain degree of risk. Um, just like you know, you could sit in your house all day and uh, never go outside, and you'd probably be at less risk than if you go out and could get hit by a car. Uh, I don't know if you saw that movie Surrogates with Bruce Willis where it's the near future and everybody has a robotic surrogate that goes out of the house for them uh, so that so that they can stay safe because the worst thing that could happen is their surrogate could get hurt. Uh, I mean, look, life is full of risks. The best computing is full of some degree of risk, but there's not a lot of risk here.
0: But of course, you can always have articles like that, which could scare the bejesus out of people.
18: It's It's a wonderful industry. And look, there's no doubt that there's a lot of things that are insecure. There's there's no doubt uh, that there's a lot of things that can be hacked. But this is probably not one of the biggest security risks around. There are bigger security risks probably in your email inbox right now or on websites you might visit than there are from Android programs that you may that you're hopefully downloading from a legitimate source like the Google Play Store or the Amazon Store uh, or one of a couple other uh, popular, legitimate Android marketplaces.
0: So there's no danger of somebody hijacking those stores and doing their mischief.
18: I mean, we have it's to always ask possible. That. It's always possible. And it actually, it has happened without this exploit. What has happened is people have submitted stuff, um, have submitted apps into the store, They were hastily approved, or whoever approved them, did not uh, check for certain types of malware activity, and uh, people have gotten malware into the store. Uh, You know, the way to avoid that is to look at. Don't you know when you're searching for something? uh, If there are two versions of it that come up, which doesn't really happen, but if there are. Look for the one that looks legitimate, that has lots of reviews and downloads associated with it. Maybe not the one that has 10 downloads associated with it. You know, it doesn't, it generally does not happen.
0: We have Avram Pilch of Laptop Magazine joining us. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Owl Live. The GCN
19: Radio
5: Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio, GCN
21: We spent years researching herbs and their beneficial properties. Renovation Teas uses only 100% organic, fair trade herbs. Our teas are blended towards specific ailments and health conditions, such as diabetes, blood pressure, anxiety, libido, detox, and much more. All Renovation Teas are formulated and hand-filled in Arkansas. Take care of yourself naturally, the way Mother Nature intended. Order Renovation Teas at RenovationTea.com or call 870 784 3121. That's 870 784 3121. Renovation Teas. Renovate your health one bag at a time.
22: My name is Case Swirling, and I am in the early part of my 10th decade. I want to discuss the issue of pharmaceuticals versus minerals and vitamin supplements. I remember a discussion between my mother and me. It was at that time that canned vegetables and fruits were introduced into the U.S. market. It was some time before my mother and others felt comfortable with food in cans. That was also the time when drugstores offered for sale cough syrup and aspirins and not much else. Let's fast forward to this decade, the here and now. Simple drugstores are large corporations with the message that they are the ones who have the power to cure human ills. Meanwhile, the battle continues with minerals and vitamins being the answer to human ills. Who will win the battle? I believe and hope it will be the belief in the power of vitamins and minerals over that of the toxic chemicals in prescription drugs. What do you think?
11: You never know what's going to happen next while listening to the Tech Night Owl live with Gene Steinberg.
0: We have Avram Pilch of Laptop Magazine joining us. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Owl live. Moving from malware to Windows 8, which some people might regard as malware. We'll have to see. <laughs> Okay, so the reception to Windows 8 was, to put it mildly, not quite smashing, unless people wanted to smash their computers with Windows 8. It didn't really do so well for Microsoft, so they have a successor called 8.1. What's the story?
18: So Windows 8.1 is in preview mode now, which means anybody who has Windows 8 on their PC or... By the way, if you just have a PC and you want to install this standalone, you can for free install the preview version, which means that it's sort of in public beta, which, you know, so it's going to have some bugs. It's going to be coming out later this year, and it is an evolutionary, not a revolutionary update to Windows 8 that provides some, some really helpful new features. It doesn't change the paradigm, so if you really dislike Windows 8, Windows 8.1 smooths out some of the rough edges and adds a few features that, you know, made me feel much more positively toward it. But at the same time, go it's not even one step backwards toward Windows 7. Uh, but anyone who's on Windows 8, I would highly recommend you try the update. It is with You may want to dual boot with it, which we have instructions on LaptopMag.com on how to do uh, because there are some bugs in 8.1, so you might want to continue using 8 if you run into a bug. But uh, it's definitely a nice nice upgrade that adds some really key features. Unfortunately, it doesn't solve a lot of the key
0: usability problems of its predecessor. And we'll get into that in a moment. Let me ask you here, if you do download the preview version of Windows 8.1, you upgrade your Windows 8 installation, I would suggest a backup for various reasons. Will you then have a problem getting the final version of Windows 8.1, or do you have to start from scratch?
18: So this is interesting. First of all, you don't have to do an in-place upgrade. You can, and that's the easiest thing to do. If you're on Windows 8, you you don't even need to download a fancy file. You just go to the Windows store and Windows 8.1 is available via the store and you click it and it takes you downloads it and takes you through the process. That said, if you want to dual boot, you can go to preview.windows.com, download an ISO file, follow some instructions uh, either there or we, we have a more detailed set of instructions on how to dual boot on laptopmag.com. And you can put the two of them side by side next to each other. Now, to answer your question, right now you can do an in-place up update up to the preview version. And the expectation is that you'll be able to go from preview to final. Maybe there'll even be a second preview. They've already apparently issued some bug fix updates to the preview. Uh, so, yes, you should be able to keep everything in place through the update process if you if you want to replace your current Windows 8 with it, which, you know what, is really not too bad of an idea. I've run into a couple of bugs. It really depends more on your hardware. I've certainly found it much more pleasant to use in several ways than Windows 8.
0: Now, there are evidently still some things that 8.1 doesn't fix. You did an article for it this week for Laptop Magazine, And I'm going to ask you about each one. We'll discuss it. Okay, you say still no start menu, but supposedly there were changes that's supposed to give you a better start screen. So explain.
18: Okay, so one of our big complaints, one of everyone's big complaints about Windows 8 is that it takes away the start menu that we've all known and loved since Windows 95 came out 18 years ago. In the place of the start uh, start menu, Uh, as as you and probably most of the listeners know, you get the start screen, which has all the live tiles on it, and you have to click on or tap on one of the live tiles to launch an app, even if that app is taking you right back to the desktop. That hasn't changed in Windows 8.1. What has changed is that they put a little start button in the lower left corner. However, when you click it, you don't get a start menu like you used to that appears on top of the desktop. you just get taken back to that same old start screen with the tiles on it. So it's just a f- shortcut. It's just a shortcut, oh. which by the way, exists in Windows 8. In Windows 8, if you hover over the left corner of the desktop of the taskbar, you, get a, you you get a start button that appears. only now they've just fixed it, so it's not just there when you hover, it's there all the time. That's cheap. Yes, exactly. It is cheap. It's That's not bringing back the start menu. So uh, when you talked to Jacob Nielsen, uh, noted usability expert Jacob Nielsen, about this, and when I talked to uh, Reluca I hope I pronouncing your name right, Budiu, one of his associates, about it, and she said that the loss of context when you don't have the menu appearing on top of your work, when you have to switch screens in order to get to launch another program was you know jarring and a cognitive burden this does absolutely nothing to address that problem at all it just takes a shortcut that was previously a little hidden and makes it persistent Uh, but there's never been a problem finding your way back to the start screen in windows 8 you have about three other ways besides clicking that button in the lower left corner you can either click the Windows key on your keyboard, which you may even have two of them. Uh, If you have a tablet or some newer laptops, there's a Windows home button in the bezel of the screen. And if you use the charms menu, which you swipe in from the right to get, there's a start button there. So there's a lot of ways to get back to the start screen. This is just another one. It's not a new menu. It's just making the button obvious.
0: Which maybe takes one developer a day.
18: It's, it's no real help to people who wanted the start menu back. Uh, fortunately, I've tested it, and you can still use start menu replacements such as Start 8 in Classic Shell uh, that actually give you an old-fashioned Windows 7-style uh, start menu that appears on top of your work. So it has done nothing to solve this problem. The other thing that they've done uh, in the same vein, which, again, looks nice and looks pleasant but doesn't really solve the problem, is that you can now have the wallpaper, the background wallpaper, be consistent between desktop, the desktop uh, and the start screen. So when you click that start button, gee, it doesn't look like you left the desktop as much because you're still seeing the same wallpaper underneath the tiles as opposed to a different color. That being said, the tiles don't appear on top of your work as an overlay. And the real problem that's going on here is I have... 10 windows open on my screen. I'm working on something. Maybe I'm programming something. Maybe I'm writing an email. And gosh darn, I now I know I need to launch another program. Maybe I need to launch my browser. Oh, well, I have to go back to the start screen, click on, you know, maybe I have a tile on there to launch Outlook or something. And it's going to take me back to the desktop. But while I'm doing all that, maybe I lost the the thread in my mind of what I was doing because the work I was working on disappeared from the screen. The old-fashioned start menu was great because it appeared on top of your work, and you you could kind of still mentally, you know, keep that in your in your RAM, uh, in your in your personal RAM.
0: In other words, uh, they're making it more difficult for you to concentrate on what you're doing. So this, yeah. therefore, is a downgrade in terms of usability. But there's an article you have over at Laptop Magazine. Let's segue to that and go back to the problems not fixed. Were you? point out there are five windows 8 apps that allow you to bring back the start menu and i suppose the people at stardock who have start eight they must be millionaires by now
18: that is a that is a great program i highly recommend it it's five dollars it's a five dollars well spent if you so five
0: dollars times a hundred million yes which is how many copies of windows 8 microsoft claimed to have sold a few months back they're rolling in it
18: well to be fair First of all, a lot of people don't know about Start8. If you're listening to this now, you know. Uh, but there are also some free alternatives. So Classic Shell, if you Google that, that's a another start menu replacement that's also pretty good. That's available for free. You don't even have to pay for that. I, I personally like Start8 a, a bit better. It has more. Um, it seems a little bit more like the look and feel of it is more like Windows 7 start menu. Uh, it's easier to kind of move shortcuts and icons around on it than on classic shell. So, uh, highly recommended another, another thing that Stardock makes, which also really is something that should be built into windows is a program called, um, what is it called? Modern mix and modern mix allows you to run, uh, Metro apps in a window on the desktop. So, uh, Now, I tried it in Windows 8.1, and I couldn't get it to work in Windows 8.1 like I had in Windows 8. Start 8 is supposed to work in in Windows 8.1, but Modern Mix, uh, when I tried it last week anyway, didn't appear to. uh, But if they've corrected that, uh, or maybe I was just installing it wrong or something, I have used it under Windows 8 and highly recommended, because if there is a modern app that you like, You don't have to use it full screen. You can use it in a window using Modern Mix, which is something that Microsoft should let you do. But no, they're too stubborn. They've got to enforce their uh, usability beliefs on you.
0: We'll get into more of the things that Microsoft didn't fix with Windows 8.1 in our next segment. We have Avram Pilch of Laptop Magazine. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Owl live.
10: Springtime is sale time at Herbal Healer Academy. Current customers know this is the time to save big and stock up at HerbalHealer.com. New customers, welcome to the web's best place to save on vitamins, minerals, and more. Right now, Herbal Healer's spring specials include our five hundred parts per million colloidal silver, all sizes on sale. CoQ10 with Hawthorne, Colon Enhancer, Sea Cucumber, Super Fam, and Super Male Plex, plus glucosamine chondroitin. Our best-selling liquid CalMag Vitamin D and our colloidal. All on sale for spring at HerbalHealer.com. And Herbal Healer also offers certificate correspondence courses in natural medicine. Enjoy same-day shipping and free online newsletter. Log on to our nation's leader in supplying quality natural medicine and education since 1988. Herbal Healer
11: Academy at HerbalHealer.com.
7: Welcome back to the Tech Night Out Live, where you never know what's going to happen next. And now, here's Gene Steinberg.
0: So there's a big deal being made right now about the Windows 8.1 update. It's in public preview now. So if you're a Windows 8 user, go ahead and back up everything before you run this update wouldn't take any chances but if you do you'll find they've fixed a few things but maybe they didn't fix enough and certainly the fix to the start menu seems pathetic and cheap so that's a gimmick it is a gimmick and like i said it took one programmer one day and if it takes a programmer more than one day to fix that i think they should be fired
18: that that was pretty yeah that was pretty lame and you know, there's about there are several other things that uh, fit into that lame group. They still have done nothing about the fact that the default email software, which is what most people are using to get their their mail under Windows 8, does sucks. Not-
0: Can we just say it sucks?
18: yeah it actually is pretty bad even if you, even if you don't have the issue that i had that i have with it which is i have a an account that's popmail and it does not support popmail and it sounds like it never will support popmail now this uh, but-
0: is funny here because we should talk about this for example now popmail is i don't know about as old as imap now imap applies to a lot of different email accounts like Gmail or maybe with your business if it's not Exchange. But Pop Mail is Yahoo. Pop Mail is Outlook.com. So why wouldn't they support that?
18: Outlook.com, anything that's a webmail, even if it is available as Pop, will work. So Outlook.com, you can definitely load on there. Oh, yes, you
0: can, but in a browser window.
18: No, you you can use Outlook. I have tried it, and you can use an outlook.com account in uh, the default Windows 8 mail. Uh, they'd have they'd have to be foolish to try and stop you, considering that it's their own service, right? But you um, can't run Yahoo. I I haven't tried that one. I would believe you can't run it.
0: And also remember that if you are using the email account from your ISP, that, more than that's likely, the most
18: common situation. That's right. I own my own domain and I pay for hosting and I could probably change up my account to make it IMAP by changing a setting as ISP users. A lot of them could do, but that's the default for a lot of people who are getting mail through their ISP is pop. There's nothing wrong with pop mail. It's perfectly good. They just don't want to support it. Maybe because it's not, it's not particularly cloud friendly, you know, pop tends to download its mail to your hard drive They want everything to live in the cloud, so that's probably their reasoning, but it's lame. It's also, as you point out, the whole mail app is kind of lame. It doesn't give you a lot of control over things like spam filters or you have different identities, but it it does not give you a lot of flexibility. And and I'm jumping ahead to one of my other problems here, but like all of the Windows default apps and most of the third-party Windows 8 apps... It is, it is very low information density. It, the giant fonts, giant icons that look like it's like the Duplo version of Windows. Uh, and I understand why they do that. They're trying to make it touch friendly, but in doing so and in making it only look that way, it's just, it just eating up a lot of screen real estate and not giving you a lot of functionality or toolbars in return. If you simply go and download Windows Live Mail, which is still available, as a free download and run that on the desktop and then you compare that product which hasn't been updated in a couple of years and is probably going to be killed uh with the default windows 8 mail you'll see that the windows live mail is like 10 times better has a lot more features so they've given you a really stripped down version of the mail client which is which is really crappy Um, there are third-party alternatives out there in fact just yesterday i was testing out one called, uh, I think it's called PopMail or Pop3, uh, which is in the Windows Store, a forty nine, and that will get your PopMail. However, it won't get any other mail, so you'd have to keep your Pop account in a different app than your other accounts. So,
0: kind of lame. Kind of absurd that Microsoft provides such a lame client. I mean, people criticize, for example, Apple Mail, but it gets more and more features, even works on your OS X installation with Many Exchange server installations, by the way, Apple Mail, we forget, goes back to the days of Next. It goes back to the late 80s, the first version, so it's a pretty old application. Anyway, let's get back to other issues. Now, another problem is there's no Explorer for the modern UI. The Explorer being the file browser that Microsoft has for Windows, and the Mac equivalent, of course, is the Finder. This is the file browser. There's no such thing for Windows 8. The Correct. modern UI, why? Very
18: good question. I have not got an answer from Microsoft on that one. And
0: uh, you never will.
18: Uh, you know, I, one, one explanation I've heard from some people who are big fans of Windows 8 is that you shouldn't need to move files around. You should just use SkyDrive. And Sky, this, there is a SkyDrive app that comes on there, SkyDrive being Microsoft's cloud storage service. And you can use the SkyDrive app to get to files on your local storage, although it's not very good at that. Incidentally, there's also a, uh, a free program in the Windows Store called, I think, uh, Windows Commander or something like that, uh, which I downloaded the other day, which does a decent but not really good job of allowing you to manage files. It's still not, unfortunately, not really drag-and-drop, with files like you would want. You just kind of have to long press things and then cut and paste them between folders, which you can uh, find your way around. None of these are half as good as all the free file managers you can get for Android, which are excellent. Everything from like Astro File Manager to, was it, ES File Manager. There's a million free file managers for Android. The op- Most phones or tablets come with one. Uh, And it's really easy to click on folders and navigate through your storage, Uh, whereas uh, on Windows, they're leaving you to your own devices. And what's really problematic about that is it's not as if you won't need to to work with files, because if you have a Windows laptop or a Windows tablet, how many times are you going to plug in a USB key, you're going to take an SD card from your camera and pop that in, maybe attach a backup drive. All of those things are going to require you to go into the desktop mode to use Desktop Explorer, which is really difficult to do through touch with the finger because those folders are really small, even if you enlarge them and they're not that easy to to work with using touch. Uh, And you've got to kind of try and tap just the right thing or you might move your file to the wrong place.
0: You almost want to go and take the Windows programmer's and especially the ones who focus on usability, interface elements, and bang them on the head and say, hey, guys, what is it do you think you're doing here? Why are you doing this? Why are you making the management of your files, the things that people are accustomed to in Windows, and making it more difficult for them? And that takes us to the one that you alluded to earlier, the low information density problem. They're trying to simplify things so much that they make them harder to do.
18: Yeah, absolutely. I think the problem here is that the Microsoft is moving in the wrong direction from the public with this information, with how they've how they've made the interface on Windows 8 to have so little, much larger icons, much larger fonts. Yes, it's easier. You want things that are easy to target with the finger, but somehow iOS and Android and even BlackBerry even BlackBerry 10 do a really good job of making icons and fonts the right size for touching without making them like so huge that there's almost nothing on the screen this is so stripped down that you know finding that a lot of things are hidden from you so you know you want you want to find find your you know, if you're in regular Windows and you want to find, say, your favorites menu, well, you may have a problem there, right? If you're in, but if you're on, on Windows 8, it's, uh, you know, you'll have to swipe up on a hidden, to find a hidden menu.
0: We always got to get those hidden menus. In fact, at this point, I'm wanting to think that maybe I should hide Windows 8 and never look at it again, but we'll get into <laughs> more of the problems with Windows 8. One. That aren't fixing the problems with Windows eight. Avram Pilch of Laptop Magazine joins us. I'm Gene Steinberg, you're in the Tech Night How Live. quantitative easing,
14: unemployment at depression levels, Europe financial system falling apart, China getting out of U.S. treasuries. At the end of 2008, the time of TARP, the national debt was at $11 trillion, gold trading around $850 per ounce. Close to 2012, the national debt exceeded $16.4 trillion, gold doubled to $1,600 per ounce. The $20 trillion threshold for the national debt is inevitable. Politicians in Washington have a ferocious appetite for spending and stimulus. What's worse, a printing
4: Wouldn't it be nice to have one product that replaces more than 10, saving you space, time, and money? HempUSA.org has a complete full-spectrum vitamin mineral detox formulation called Micro Plant Powder Gold. Micro Plant Powder Gold contains 101 vitamins, minerals, probiotics, and iodine, has a 100-year shelf life, and is a perfect addition to any storage shelter. Make Micro Plant Powder Gold your choice. Call 888-910-4367 or visit HempUSA.org today.
5: HempUSA.org has a revolutionary wonder food for detoxing the body and rebuilding the immune system. Microplant Powder can help unclog arteries and soften heart valves while removing heavy metals, virus, fungus, bacteria, and parasites. Plus, it cleans and purifies the blood, lungs, stomach, and colon. Keep your body clean with Microplant Powder. Order today at 888-910-4367 or visit HempUSA.org.
16: absorption of food nutrients aids in controlling yeast infections is never freeze dried and uses three groups of live viable beneficial microbes to cleanse and remove toxins order Pro EM one daily probiotic cleanse at terraganix.com spelled t e r a g a n i x.com terraganix.com or call toll free 866-369-3678 that's 866-369-3678 proem1 the raw probiotic
0: With Avram Pilch of Laptop Magazine, I'm Gene Steinberger in the Tech Night How Live with our 4th of July holiday weekend edition. And to show you what a trooper Avram is, he made time on his 4th of July to spend an hour with me. He may regret it after this, but, you know, he's really a trooper and we have to commend him. The place is Laptop Magazine at LaptopMag.com. And what we're seeing here, of course, is one of the biggest problems with Windows 8 is that they have super simplified everything, almost childlike, almost, I guess, in a sense, reminds you of Bob. This crazy, I was going to say that. Yeah, it's Bob-inspired. And tell our listeners, before we get on to more of the problems that Windows 8.1 will not fix, what was Bob? What were they thinking?
18: You see, this is why I said before that Microsoft is out of step with where users are going because Bob was an operating system that was made as a shell on top of Windows where you had like a little smiley face man, uh, or I think you could replace him with other icons. I think there was a dog or something. It was like a digital assistant person it had like a little as i remember i think there was like a little house city or building that it, rooms he would go around to and it, you'd sort of say oh bob you you couldn't talk to because it, it wasn't voice recognition it would have text coming up this was in like the early to mid 90s i would say uh maybe i think it was after the launch of windows 95 95 96 maybe mm-hmm. around there the idea was if you were not a savvy computer user, if you were computer illiterate, this was easier to learn because it was just an assistant and it would ask you questions. Do you want to print? Oh, great. Do you want to write a document? Oh, wonderful. So it was trying to put a more personable face on your computer, but it was so limited in what it could do and so clunky that you know, people who were computer people like myself hated it. Because it was dumbed down and, and takes functionality away. And people who were not computer people, people who are computer illiterate or semi computer literate, also found it too confusing to really be helpful. Plus, it was like riding a bike with super training wheels and not really providing a path to riding without the training wheels because it was a separate UI
0: than regular Windows. Okay, let me give you the history Microsoft Bob was released in March 1995. Its code name was Utopia, okay? And Microsoft's Steve Ballmer mentioned Bob as an example of a situation where, quote, we decided that we have not succeeded and let's stop, end quote. Interesting because I wonder if he'll ever begin to say the same thing about Windows 8.
18: I think they're really dug in on this. And now you are starting to see some traction in that there are 100,000 apps, although... The number of apps is always deceptive because a lot of them are are not very good. But you are starting to see Facebook is allegedly going to come out with their own uh, Windows 8 app, although they haven't yet. And so we're going to start to see more. There's going to eventually, they showed a demo of it, be Office for Windows 8. Even Microsoft's own Office division has has not yet embraced Windows 8. But uh, I think that it is going to... In this direction now whether or not this is going to you know whether or not windows is going to continue to be the dominant operating system for productivity and for computers is an open question at this point too because now it has some real competition we're starting to see android appear on laptops and even on all-in-ones and then of course there's chrome so there's chrome os and so I think, there's, I think there's a possibility that Microsoft's share is going to be hurt, and they're certainly not sticking with what they were good at. But I think they're, I think they're all in on this uh, for better or worse. There are ways they could fix it and make it better. Having touch in a Windows environment isn't bad. What they should have done, what they should still do, if they ask me, is that they should stop making interface choices for the user. Let the user decide. Stop deciding for me what program I can run and what interface. If, you, if you've used Linux, you know that the kernel of the operating system, the part that actually makes it work, and the shell, the user, user interface are two different things, and the user can decide, hey, I want Windows that I want to use KDE, which is one kind of windowing environment, or I want to use GNOME, or I just want to use the command prompt, or whatever, and that is a user's choice. Microsoft used to be great at giving the user choice. With Windows 8, they've decided, "Oh no, you're going to have these older apps, which is actually most of the apps that people really want, and they're going to run in a window on the desktop, not a full screen where they're easy to touch. No, no, you can't do that." And we're going to have these newer apps that have all that are that have these ugly big fonts and are harder to use and don't have access to all of the Windows APIs, so they have less functionality. Uh, but you can only run these at full screen. You can't run them in a window. So if Microsoft would just sort of bridge the gap here and let people decide what UI they wanted, maybe allow developers to create an app that actually can kind of seamlessly switch between the UIs by just changing the tool look and feel of its toolbars uh, as you move between one and the other, then you would have a good, then you would have something that could work quite well. Unfortunately, they haven't done that. They may never do that. Uh, But they do seem to be kind of all in on this, for better
0: or worse. Okay, there's the next one here, which is called No Persistent Status Info. Let me give you an example of that. You look at Windows 7. No, you look at the tray. You can see your time and everything. On a Mac, the upper right corner, you've got your clock preference. So I'm looking at the date. I'm looking at the time. I could look if I am using a MacBook, an Apple notebook, the battery status. Okay, normal things, being able to see what's going on, being able to get a status display on your iOS device, on your Android device. You look at the top line, you see a status display. But there isn't persistent status info under Windows 8 or even 8.1. What's that about?
18: I think that's about the same low information density problem. Their philosophy is... We don't want clutter, or we do want clutter as long as it's our live tiles, but we don't want to give you too much information. And that's why it's going against what users are used to and want in 2013. Because on a computer, yes, maybe there is such a thing as TMI. But there's got to be a really high threshold for it. People want more information in their face. As usability experts like Jacob Nielsen will tell you, out of sight is out of mind. So even if you know you can get a clock by swiping in from the right or going to the desktop or whatever, that's an action you have to take and it's not persistent with you. The battery, lack of battery information is, is criminal on Windows 8. Like, it's almost like Microsoft forgot that people might be using this on a tablet. Uh, even though they're pushing it as a tablet operating system. If you're on a mobile device like a tablet, you need to know how much battery you have left and you need to see that all the time. But you will not see how much battery you have left unless you swipe in from the right to get the charms menu. But even there, you can't, you only see an icon which has like, you know, of a battery that is sort of partially full. You can't actually see how much you have left. It is a percentage. The only way to do that is to go into desktop mode and hover your mouse over the battery icon in the oh, true
0: Oh, oh, oh! That hurts. We have Avram Pilch joining us. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out live. Are you tired
9: of
5: searching for great talk radio? Something more important. Search no more.
0: We are the GCN Radio Network. Folks, you'll want to hear this. No matter what size your business, people don't take you seriously unless you have a professional-looking website. You can empower your business with a stunning online presence, and it's free. Join over 30 million people who have built their websites with Wix. Once again, it's completely free. It requires absolutely no design or coding skills. Want to know more? Check out Wix.com. That's W-I-X.
10: Springtime is sale time at Herbal Healer Academy. Current customers know this is the time to save big and stock up at HerbalHealer.com. New customers, welcome to the web's best place to save on vitamins, minerals, and more. Right now, Herbal Healer's spring specials include our 500 parts per million colloidal silver, all sizes on sale, CoQ10 with Hawthorne, Colon Enhancer, Sea cucumber Super Superfem and Super Male Plex, plus Glucosamine Chondroitin, our best-selling liquid CalMag vitamin D, and our colloidal minerals, all on sale for spring at HerbalHealer.com. And Herbal Healer also offers certificate correspondence courses in natural medicine. Enjoy same-day shipping and free online newsletter. Log on to our nation's leader in supplying quality natural medicine and education since 1988, Herbal Healer Academy
11: at HerbalHealer.com. You're listening to the Tech Night Owl live with Gene Steinberg.
0: You never know what's going to happen next. You know, the more I hear Avram Pilch talking about the crazy, stupid decisions that Microsoft made with Windows 8, which are not being fixed with 8.1, such as persistent displays, the more I think that they ought to have a house cleaning over there. You know, from top to bottom, especially for Microsoft stockholders, I wonder why the stockholders are not in open revolt right now.
18: It is interesting. as one of Steve Bomber's uh, six thousand best friends, I have to say that uh, I have to say that I don't know if it's the developers or if it's just the overall decision at at the top. People there seem to be quite intelligent when I meet with them. By the way, the reason I say I'm one of C. Bomber's 6,000 best friends is I was at the build conference and he and Bomber came on stage and said, I'm here with my 6,000 favorite people. And since I was sitting there, I'm officially one of his 6,000 best friends.
0: You have my sympathy.
18: Uh, but. I think this is. I think this is definitely a problem. I, however, Microsoft is still making money hand over fist because most people are still buying PCs. The PC market is hurting, but a lot of people blame the hardware vendors uh, rather than blaming Windows 8. I do think 8.1 will help a bit. First of all, just the fact that it's an up, update. There were a lot of people who were saying, "Oh, this new operating system. I'm gonna wait till the first revision of it." So, if you remember Windows 3 and Windows 3.1. Nobody, nobody remembers liking Windows 3, but Windows 3.1, oh, they remember that. And to be fair, there are a couple of really significant updates. The number one thing that they've changed, which I think is a dramatic improvement, is that you can now do a split screen and have more than one modern UI app open at a time.
0: Well, and- I'll tell you what, that's certainly going to help power users. That's absurd. That's not even enough. You know, I'm going to ask you the question here before we go on to that and the improvements. Why do we need to have two copies of the browser? That's absurd. I mean, consider on your Mac, yeah, you can have as many browsers as you want on your Mac. You know, you have Safari. You don't like it. You get Chrome. You get Firefox. You get Opera. There are others, by the way, lesser browsers, OmniWeb, stuff like that. Get a lot of browsers on the Windows platform. Fine. Two versions of Internet Explorer. Even if we assume Internet Explorer is now a decent browser after the many fixes and updates, why do we need two? Because of the twin interfaces.
18: You know, it's interesting. I had a session for about an hour and a half with the IE developers last week and somebody asked them this very question, why are there still two versions? And their answer was not particularly satisfying, uh, not to me anyway. They said, well, some people like to work in the desktop, and some people like to work in the immersive UI. Even It's interesting that even at Microsoft, nobody has a consistent way of talking about the tile UI. Some call it the modern UI, some call it the immersive,
0: immersive? UI. Immersive? What do they mean by immersive? I call it the dumbed-down UI. Immersive? I don't feel immersed in anything except silliness. Because it's hard to get out of. Oh, uh, that's it. You're trapped. It's the it's trapped UI. You're immersed, sort of like in quicksand. Uh, so- that That's it. The quicksand
18: UI. <laughs> <laughs> so they said some people like to have this open in a window on a desktop. I can't disagree with the fact that if you're using the desktop, you probably want a browser there. What I can disagree with is the fact that the two different browsers don't talk to each other. And even though the programmers say that they are exactly the same code, they have different features. There's a different settings menu. You can run flash apps on the desktop version, but not on the, but not on the modern UI version. And the part that is actually the most frustrating is that if you have a window or a tab open in one, it's not, and you switch to the other, it's not there. Now, Somebody asked about that, why aren't the tabs synced or why is there no sync between these browsers, especially because one of the new features that they're touting heavily of IE is that it does sync your tabs and your, and your favorites between different computers. And, they, and the developers said, well, do you think you'd really want that? As if it was like, oh, this just occurred to us. And they said, thank you for the feedback, as if they had never heard it before.
0: You've uh, got to be kidding me. They must live in another world. I mean, do they expect you to keep separate bookmarks?
18: The book, I think the bookmarks are, I think the bookmarks sync with each other, but if you have a tab open and you switch, like it's really easy to lose track of a tab or a window because the tab and window sets are different. Now, lest you think this is an impossible task to unify these two browsers, Google's already done it with Chrome for Windows 8. Chrome for Windows 8 switches back and forth between modern and desktop but is not two different browsers. So you open if you install Chrome for Windows 8, you open it up and you say, you know what, I want this on the desktop. You go to the little settings menu in the upper right corner, you pull down an option which says switch to desktop mode and it switches you. If you're in desktop mode, it says switch to modern mode or whatever. Like there's a switch back and forth in the settings menu. And when you switch back and forth, it relaunches it in the other environment with all the same tabs and windows open.
0: But there's no way to like it have it opens simultaneously in both environments
18: no because it's two different because it's the same
0: it's it that it's is the same app with options to open in different environments it's not like two separate apps and there's no way the way they've got this designed to have one app serve both masters at the same time and you kind of have to wonder here the goal of any operating system is to enhance your productivity it's not to display stupid icons It is to enhance your productivity. You have to get work done. You're not just looking at tiles and looking at special effects and this nonsense. You want to get things done. And anything that makes it harder to get things done is a negative. And let me give you another thing about that, another issue where Windows 8.1 doesn't fix a Windows 8 problem. You just want to shut down your computer. You just want to shut down your computer. What's so hard about that? How do you do it under... Windows 8.1 and Windows 8.
18: To be fair to Windows 8.1, it adds another and one other way of doing shutdown besides the traditional way, but it's also several clicks away. So the way that you've traditionally done it, traditionally meaning in the last few months under Windows 8 and now under Windows 8.1, if you want to shut down your computer, you have to swipe in from the right to get the charms menu. You then have to uh, go open up open up settings, uh, tap. Uh, tap power and tap shutdown
0: you know what Uh, he has to think about it because it's so convoluted it's not something that just falls it doesn't fall right from your tongue your tongue has to be tangled around a convoluted prospect it's ridiculous
18: yeah it, it it is absolutely ridiculous uh so yeah it makes it really difficult to to do a simple thing uh now, they added a, another option, which is on that new start button. If you right click the new start button, you get a menu of choices. One of the choices, one of the choices is shutdown, but there's a, it's actually a menu that, t- it's actually a, no- there's a sub menu with, sh- there's a shutdown menu with shutdown on it as a sub item. So it's still a couple of clicks away. Uh, maybe it's two versus three clicks away. Uh, but if you, if you've used Windows 7, wow, that's really easy to find the shutdown button. You just hit the start button, and there it is, and you just click it, and you're done. And it's, to talk about out of sight is out of mind, it almost doesn't matter how many steps it is. What matters is that you don't see it, that it's hidden, uh, because it's easy to lose track of things that are hidden. So power users, people who are you know good at remembering these things like you and I, you know, will find the shutdown thing in Windows 8 annoying, but somebody else will find it downright mad you know, maddening to excess because they couldn't actually figure out how to remember how to do it. There's a philosophy behind this. Part of the philosophy is we don't want to burden, don't let's not burden you with the details. Let's let's dumb down the operating system, make the interface simple, like Bob. And part of the philosophy also is, oh, gee, now that you have a tablet or an ultrabook, you shouldn't have to go to, you shouldn't have to shut down your computer anyway. That is simply couldn't be further from the truth if you get on an airplane and you actually follow their instructions and they tell you to shut things off you're gonna have to do this uh if you uh have something that uses uh, that you're not going to be using for several hours and you don't want to be eating up some juice while it's asleep there's just a lot of reasons why you would want to really physically shut something down and microsoft doesn't seem to understand
0: that it's the ghost of bob that's researching this is a paranormal event the ghost of bob came to Steve Ballmer one night and said, I want to come back into your life. Help me, please. We've got Avram Pilch of Laptop Magazine. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live.
5: The GCN Radio Network. Providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. GCN.
8: That's
19: R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. There's a huge and hushed up conspiracy going on that's about to turn your lives upside down in the coming few months. Unbelievably, the media are keeping quiet about this. I'm sure they know it, but they probably know that revealing it on TV will generate mass hysteria and chaos. But I believe you should be informed about it. Because when the sinister agenda is finally accomplished and everything unravels, only those who know this secret info will survive and thrive. Go to 123conspiracy.com right now to see the truth. The video at 123conspiracy.com reveals the real secret reason why Obama is after your guns and ammo, and it's not just in response to mass murders or preparing for war, it's something much darker. Go watch the video now at 123conspiracy.com before they shut it down. Again, that's 123conspiracy.com. Are you still a traditional smoker? Now
3: experience a new lifestyle and try vaping with e cigarettes by La Sig. day warranty and satisfaction guarantee so are you ready for a new vaping lifestyle then call 870-518-4307 that's 870-518-4307 or visit lecig.com spelled l-e-c-i-g.com lecig e-cigarettes for today's modern smoker
11: You're listening to the Tech Night Owl live with Gene Steinberg. You never know what's going to happen next.
0: This is our final segment. And you know something? Before I started talking with Avram Pilch of Laptop Magazine, and he suggested let's talk about the things that are windows 8 problems that 8.1 doesn't fix and i figured we'll get through that in two or three segments we're on the last segment of the show now and we still haven't covered them all i mean like microsoft still decides what ui you'll use and when they want control
18: well you know we we talked about this a little bit before i mean it's just generally speaking you as a user don't have the choice of what app you want to run and what UI, and you don't have the choice to turn UIs on and off. And that might seem obvious, and it it probably is if you've used Windows 8 or you've used another operating system that's very much about hand-holding. But this is very Microsoft-like because if you remember the evolution of Microsoft operating systems from DOS on up, you always had a choice to kind of go back to the previous UI if you were more comfortable with it. So when Windows came out, it was operating on top of DOS. And if you re- and if you wanted to run a DOS program in a window, you could. And if you wanted to run it full screen, you could. Uh, and up until Windows 95, you could, even with Windows 95, if you change the setting, you could boot to the command prompt. So if you were comfortable with the DOS environment, you could have stuck with it for like 15 years. You could have stuck with it for long after Windows came along. And if you liked the Windows 95, 98 XP environment, every subsequent Windows gave you the option to kind of change the look and feel to look like its predecessor. So my wife still likes Windows XP even though she's on Windows 7. And there's an option in Windows 7 to make your start menu and your Windows look a lot like Windows XP. And that's not a special utility. That's just changing a few settings to turn off the Glass. So Windows 8 doesn't do that. I mean, it has desktop mode, but... You can't just say, you know what, sorry, I, I, I want to try these modern apps, but I'm really comfortable with my desktop, just let me keep it. Windows is all of a sudden making the decision for you that you should be, as a reader, as a user, should be empowered to do for yourself.
0: The other thing here you mentioned, this is the last one, the entire desktop UI appears as just one app. And that reminds me of the classic Mac OS environment when OS 10 came out. So when Mac OS 10 first came out in 2001, Apple realized you had lots of apps from the original Mac OS environment. So how did they handle that? They created something called Classic, and Classic was simply an app window in which you ran this other operating system and your other apps. So it sounds to me like the desktop app is kind of sort of treated the same way under Windows 8.
18: Right. So it's kind of disrespectful to people who are using the desktop environment, which is everybody, and all the wonderful programs, which include some Microsoft programs like Microsoft Office, that they are treated almost like they're in an emulator or something. So if you have the task manager open in Windows 8.1 or Windows 8, uh, and you look at your list of tasks, let's say you have the new modern UI email open, or you have and modern UI Bing search, and you have Modern UI, uh, Internet Explorer. All of those will be separate icons you can switch between. But the desktop, no matter how many programs you have open on it, you have a hundred windows open on it with different of different programs, will be just one icon. To be fair, you can switch between apps by hitting Alt Tab, and that will switch you between all of your apps. Uh, but this has an even bigger implication for in Windows 8.1 than it did in Windows 8, because with Windows uh, Windows 8.1, you can have multi, that multi window mode in modern UI, which is a really nice idea because it kind of solves one of the problems that we've all had with the windowed environment, which is eh, you don't want to necessarily drag things around and snap them. What you really want is just to split the screen in half or split the screen in thirds. Well, this makes doing that easy. That's wonderful. But the desktop is considered one app, and you cannot, so you cannot take two desktop applications and use them in different sides of the split screen. The entire desktop can only be one side of the split screen. So you can split the screen between modern UI Internet Explorer and the desktop, but you cannot have two windows with the desktop in them, or two windows with two different desktop apps in them. Even though, you can split the screen between two different Internet Explorer modern UI
0: windows, if you can follow that tongue twister. uh, Believe me, this is ridiculous. I'm just listening to this of what you can't do. And all the work, all the things you've got to do, all the convoluted steps involved in taking what's supposed to be a simplified dumbed-down operating system and actually get productivity out of it. And I think the biggest problem that Microsoft should solve is to go into their focus groups and say, okay, here's a list of tasks to do. And now we're going to assume there's an app available under modern UI, an app available under the Windows desktop. And now we're going to put you on Windows 7 and Windows 8. Windows 8, modern UI, Windows 7, the standard desktop. You're going to run similar apps. And you're going to do your productive work. But you also have to do a few system maintenance things as you go along. And we're going to see who gets more work done. Is there even the ghost of a possibility that Windows 8 will come out on top? Of course it won't. Whatever happened to productivity? doesn't microsoft consider that
18: i mean they think that they're making you more productive by giving you another ui uh
0: but, so basically do two things that's more productive than one okay
18: but that's what windows was great at allowing you to do different things at once uh you know the split screen mode certainly helps with this but then again when your apps are showing less information in them then you have to scroll more so that becomes an issue the pro the the old, my overall message about windows 8 and the windows 8 one and the philosophy that microsoft has taken is it's not 1982 it's 2013 when computers first came out in the early 80s computer illiteracy was a problem you had to make them easier to use because people there were a lot of people out there who hadn't grown up with computers they weren't savvy you want to make things dumb and easy for them 30 years later Everybody knows how to use a computer who's going to, and they're looking for more functionality. They're looking to to get more done faster. So that's why people like Android, because as a mobile operating system, it gives you a lot of information on the screen at once. Uh, Samsung even lets you open multiple windows in Android. So people are looking to see more. It's not just geeky people like me. Everybody is a certain minimal almost everyone in at least in modern in, in industrialized countries like the United States is a certain level the, a lot of people are at least a minimal level of uh, computer literacy and we 're still trying to make computers super easy to use we don 't need to make them easy to use for beginners anymore, but because it 's like you don 't need to make a car easy to use because the car interface has been the same since you know, for such a long time that you expect people to know how to use it. It's the same
0: thing. And if you look at the difference here, Apple's coming out with OS 10 Mavericks, and Laptop Magazine, by the way, has a report on the developer preview. Apple concentrated on stuff under the hood that expands battery life, lets you use memory more efficiently, about enhancing the finder with finder tabs, about doing things that take the same operating system with the same interface and letting you do more things do things in an easier way, putting your passwords in the cloud, having automatic methods to guess passwords for you. In other words, making you more productive. And we see, of course, that Android's trying to do that. Apple's adding more features to iOS. But Microsoft is trying to bring back Bob. That's all I could say for it. They're trying to make you live in another era where something they tried did not work. Abram Pilch. Tell our listeners where they can find more of the things you do.
18: You can uh, of course read all of our news including lots of information about Windows 8.1 including some tips on how to make the most of it at LaptopMag.com uh, You can read my weekly columns
0: at LaptopMag.com slash GeeksGeek and follow me on Twitter at Geek You can find us on Twitter as Tech owl We are Tech owl at Twitter. Send us a tweet follow us. Also go to TechNightOwl.com. That's TechNightOwl.com and then we have another radio show about UFOs and things that go bump in the night. And this weekend we're going to be talking about two guys who were pioneers in science fiction. Ray Palmer, Richard Shaver, about a book called War Over Lemuria. And by the way, Ray Palmer or Shaver, they paved the way perhaps for the kind of modern science fiction you see in Star Wars and Star Trek. Really fascinating. On the Tech Night Owl Live, Avram Pilch, thanks for joining us. Always a pleasure.
14: The Tech Night
3: Owl Live is a copyrighted presentation of Making the Impossible Incorporated.
4: We'll be back next week. Same bad time, same bat channel.